Welcome to Citizens for Health Radio. Uh, we are talking today to Jeffrey Smith, who's a uh, premier consumer uh, advocate on the uh, issue of the health problems of ge uh, genetically engineered foods, and I think just in general, the whole area. Uh, Jeffrey's been working in this area uh, for the past uh, uh, over 20 years, almost 25 years, actually. Uh, and in that time, Citizens for Health has been an ally of his activities uh, working to bring to the attention of the American public and American consumers uh, the kinds of risks that are built into the uh, whole area of genetically modified foods uh, and other products, in fact. Um, uh, Jeffrey, uh, I'd like to welcome you to the program, uh, and I'm going to ask you to give a, just a very quick thumbnail sketch of your organization and uh, what, you, what you do with that organization. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I'm with the Institute for Responsible Technology at Responsible technology.org, and we have been pioneering the creation of the expressions and information that accurately characterize the health dangers of GMOs and the corrupt approval process and disinformation that has allowed these products to get on the market. So we started, I started this 24 years ago in terms of by studying and uh, educational efforts, and at that time, not only did and hardly anyone know what a GMO was, but the nonprofits that were involved in advocacy were not focusing on the health dangers. Our opinion was that the health dangers would be the primary lever by which we could drive the GMO foods off the market, and that, in fact, is what's happening. There's now 51% of Americans think that GMOs are unsafe, 48% of people worldwide think that GMOs are unsafe, that accurate opinion is now driving the food companies to eliminate GMOs in order to meet consumer demand, and that has been a great success of ours. However, as we'll talk about, with the new GMO 2.0 technologies, decisions made in supermarkets by consumers will not stop the genetic engineering of microbes, trees, insects, grass, etc., and we need to change our our campaign strategies in order to protect against what is truly an existential threat in the world. Uh, Jeffrey, I think um, before we get into the existential threat, I uh, maybe you could take just a couple minutes and uh, uh, summarize the health dangers of, uh, of genetically modifying food and other living products. Thank you. Um, this is something that I have done in so many different ways. Um, a couple of years ago, I released a film uh, called Secret Ingredients with Amy Hart, which describes how when individuals switch to organic food, they get better from a variety of diseases and disorders. And what's interesting is that these were not one-offs. The children who are autistic that are no longer on the spectrum, the infertile couples that have kids, the people who had cancer and skin conditions and brain fog and digestive issues. The doctors in the film describe how these are typical responses in their patients that they put on organic foods all the time, and they put thousands of patients on organic food. In fact, I, at about 150 lectures, asked audiences to tell the rest of us, what they noticed they got better from when they switched to non-GMO and organic food. 
and the list was extensive. The number one most common result was improved digestive uh, capacity and getting over digestive problems. We then replicated the survey with 3,256 people, and they confirmed they had got better from the same 28 conditions in the same relative frequency that I saw in the lectures. And there was digestive problems, fatigue, brain fog, weight problems, anxiety, allergies, food sensitivity, um, cardiovascular problems, diabetes, autism, infertility, liver conditions, um, kidney conditions. It's extensive. And one of the reasons, I mean, there's really, we look at three reasons why GMOs may be causing those problems. One is the fact that most GMOs are engineered to be sprayed with herbicide, particularly Roundup-ready crops created by Monsanto, purchased by Bayer. They, their Roundup-ready crops are designed to be sprayed with Roundup herbicide. The Roundup residues get into the food, and that can cause all sorts of problems. It basically damages the foundations of every aspect of our health, from the microbiome, the mitochondria, the neurotransmitters, the hormones, the cell structure. It produces cancer and birth defects, etc. But even without the Roundup, studies have shown that the generic process of genetic engineering creates all sorts of organ damage, smaller organs, uh, premature death, tumors, uh, cancer, uh, etc., and, and immune system problems. And so you have a situation where the generic process of swapping genes or adding genes into a DNA causes massive collateral damage and side effects. You have the herbicide sprayed on the crops causing problems. And then you have another class of GMOs that produce their own insecticide, which is designed to drill holes in the guts of insects to kill them. And it turns out in a petri dish in a laboratory, that same insecticide that you're eating in genetically engineered corn can drill holes in human cells. And a study in Canada shows that 93% of the pregnant women tested had the BT toxin in their blood, possibly passing through holes in the intestines that it itself created. So these are just some of the issues. Basically, we believe that GMOs and Roundup comprise perhaps the single most pervasive health issue on the planet or certainly in the United States, and we have correlative evidence suggesting that it is driving up at least 30 diseases that are rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup in the American diet. Uh, tell me where the audience can find this information online. Do you have something that you can direct them to so they can read, for example, the list of the ailments that you're turning up as being affected by GMOs? Yes, I do. If you go to responsibletechnology.org, we have several categories where you can explore information. Um, I published a peer-reviewed study based on the survey at the International Journal of Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine, where the list of the 28 conditions is there. Um, in addition, uh, we do have... I believe in our resource section there's a PowerPoint you can download that has the charts of the about 30 conditions that we have correlated with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup. Correlation does not prove causation, but in the context where we can identify the very specific modes of action of GMOs, Roundup, and BT toxin that would lead to, predictably, those same diseases, and because individuals, humans, and pets, and livestock 
appear to get better from those same conditions when they switch to non-GMO and organic, we are very confident that it's not just a correlation, but it is, in fact, a causation. Now, what we're saying, uh, as I understand it, and Citizens for Health is, uh, is uh, involved as a, as a partner on this issue, is that uh, individuals who can choose, for example, organic food will, in fact, improve their health by avoiding these GMO items. Is that uh, a fair statement to say to our consumers? Yes. What happens is when you eat organic, you eat products that are not allowed to contain genetically modified ingredients or products that have been sprayed with Roundup herbicide and other chemical uh, pesticides. So this is, a, this is the best thing we can do if we don't grow our own or know our sources of food intimately. If you just get non-GMO, the problem is, let's say you get a non-GMO bowl of oatmeal. Oatmeal's never been genetically engineered. However, oats, like most of the grains in this country, and also in many other countries, are sprayed with Roundup just before harvest to dry down the crop. And it's sprayed three to five days before harvest, and it gets synthesized in the plant in such a way that it gets deposited in the food portion. So if you eat a bowl of oatmeal that's not organic, you're getting a huge dose of glyphosate, the chief poison in Roundup, which has just been the subject of three trials in the last couple of years where it was identified as the cause of cancer in four plaintiffs. And Monsanto Bear is trying to settle with 125,000 more plaintiffs who got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and that's just one of many diseases linked to the glyphosate in your oatmeal. If you eat hummus or other beans, you will also get a big dose of glyphosate based on the research that we looked at, unless it's organic. Also at responsibletechnology.org, you can sign up for updates, and when you do, you will receive a report that has all the testing data of all the different foods that have been tested in the United States and Canada with the levels of glyphosate, because the U.S. government refuses to do this research on glyphosate because they've been friends with Monsanto for decades. They do it with all the other pesticides, but not with Roundup. And so we've had to compile all the different independent studies so people can know what to avoid. But the easiest way to avoid it, Jim, is to simply eat organic which doesn't allow the intentional use of these dangerous components. Now, you mentioned uh, the nefarious way that this uh, regulatory process is operating uh, in, in such a way that it doesn't actually protect us. Could you uh, go into a little bit of that uh, explanation? The first Bush administration was convinced, probably by Monsanto, that GMOs would increase U.S. exports and U.S. domination of world food of the trade of food in the world. And so the Council of Competitiveness, uh, led by Dan Quayle, basically announced that they wouldn't be regulating and slowing down the production of genetically engineered foods. And two days later, the Food and Drug Administration announced its hands-off policy that no GMOs needed to be tested or labeled and that companies like Monsanto could introduce their foods into the market without even telling the FDA. It turns out that the person who was in charge of that policy at the FDA was Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney, later Monsanto's vice president, later the food czar under Obama. 
And the claim in the policy that was the justification for non-regulation was that the agency wasn't aware of any information showing that GMOs were significantly different. When documents were made public from a lawsuit in 1999, it turns out that was a fraud. The overwhelming consensus among the scientists working at the FDA was exactly the opposite, stated as such. They were concerned that GMOs could create allergens, toxins, new diseases, and nutritional problems, and urged the policy to urge the, the government to require a, these products to be tested, even in human clinical trials and toxicological tests. However, they were overruled, and to this day, none of the major tests that they had asked for at the time were done. However, their concerns have been validated based on the evidence that we're compiling. What was the effect on the world trade issue for food? Did the American share of the world trade in food go up? No, it went down significantly because the U.S. was trying to push GMO soy and corn on the world, and it was flatly rejected. So the exports dropped, the prices dropped, the subsidies increased dramatically, and then they decided to go around the world and try and force other countries to accept the GMOs, and that became a further disaster. So right now, even within the United States, the most major food companies are in a process of converting their GM ingredients to non-GMO because they realize that when their competitor says non-GMO, on, on the same shelf in the supermarket, they get a bump in sales because now we've been able to educate consumers about the significant health dangers. Well, uh the way that you've described the situation so far, it sounds like the issue is resolved and we're going to be uh, on the downside and we're just wrapping things up. But earlier you said we're facing a significant existential crisis at this moment Could you uh, on uh, genetically modified products. Could you uh, explain that crisis? Well, first of all, we're not completely out of the woods in terms of the dangers of the food. It is being worked on because we have achieved a tipping point in the marketplace. It is being ushered out more and more. But you may have heard of CRISPR. Of course you have. CRISPR is a gene editing technique that is so cheap and easy. You can do it in the comfort of your own home with a do-it-yourself kit from Amazon for $169. And when you do that, you're creating a new organism that was never part of the billions of years of evolution. And if you were to release an organism that can survive in the wild and it reproduces, then you've, what you've done is you've changed the gene pool. Now, if you imagine being around in 1859 in Australia on Christmas Day, you may have witnessed them releasing 24 rabbits so that the settlers from the U.K. could feel more at home because they could hunt the rabbits. Now, that short-sighted release resulted in about 10 billion rabbits populating Australia by the 1920s. That's one species in one ecosystem that has caused, at this point, around $600 million uh, of damage per year and countless changes in the ecosystem. Imagine replacing every species in an ecosystem with a new one based on genetic engineering and using a technology that is prone to side effects. Although the biotech industry saw the demise of consumer confidence in GMOs, they decided to try and sell their new gene editing as safe and predictable 
even though there's more than a dozen peer-reviewed published studies that show that it is generically just the opposite, that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, that it makes consistent surprise side effects, massive collateral damage, and can turn a harmless food into a deadly one, and we're in a situation now where everything with DNA is being targeted by a company, a scientist, or a government for manipulation. We could see a day where hundreds of thousands of GMOs would be released into the environment of all different species, ultimately replacing nature with a corrupted, a corrupted gene pool. Now, Jim, I can't overemphasize the ticking time bomb associated with this, and I'll use two examples to make my point. In the 1990s, there was a genetically engineered bacterium called Klebsiella planticula. And it was two weeks away from being released when, fortunately, a, gr a graduate student who was doing research on this particular genetically engineered bacteria discovered that it rendered soil incapable of growing terrestrial plants. Now, the doctor, Elaine Ingham, who was the uh, advisor of this graduate student, said that if this bacteria had been released two weeks later, it could have, as other bacteria have demonstrated in other studies, traveled around the world with no ability to recall it. If it had replaced the natural counterpart, Klebsiella planticula, it could have rendered terrestrial plants obsolete, incapable of growing on the planet. That would be a cataclysm of an existential threat that would completely wipe out humans and species, etc. maybe not completely, but I don't want to go there. And that was not the only bacterium that was nearly released that could have had widespread damage. A few years before that, there was a bacterium that was attempted to be released that could have theoretically changed the weather patterns because it could have theoretically replaced its natural counterpart, which, when airborne, causes water or moisture to form into rain and snow and sleep, and they wanted to genetically engineer it, in fact they did, so that it wouldn't do that because if it was sprayed on strawberries or potatoes, it would protect from frost damage. So in both cases, well-meaning scientists had plans for their bacteria, in one case to protect crops, in another place to help farmers turn their crop residues into alcohol to run their tractors and to spread the sludge onto the uh, fields as fertilizer if they had gotten to that stage and spread that sludge and that bacterium had gotten out it could have been a cataclysm. That's just two species, just two and we're talking about the possibility of this generation targeting every known species. By 2025 we will have the genome of 1.2 million identified species and once those are available, as you know, there are scientists that are that do what scientists do. They tinker, well-meaning, let's fix things. And yet, most of them are very unaware of what very few scientists are completely aware of, and that is that the technology is dangerous, it leads to unpredicted side effects, it should never be used in organisms that are released outside, and certainly not in the food supply. What is the uh, individual consumer uh, able to do in the face of CRISPR? How can they protect themselves? 
there's two ways. First of all, eating organic is very, very important. Is CRISPR um, kept out of organic? It is at this point, yes. It's also kept out of the non-GMO project verified products. They are they have to monitor very carefully the new technologies and who has what. So if you see organic seal, if you see the non-GMO project verification butterfly, both of those are designed to be a barrier. But some of these things are getting on the market and no one knows about it because the U.S. government has been convinced, like many governments, to pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, to take anything that's gene edited and say, not our problem. So a mushroom maker sent a letter, as others have, to the USDA saying, you don't really have to regulate our mushrooms because it's gene edited. They said, no, we don't. And it turns out they used the technology, CRISPR, and they did it in a way where they believed it would knock out a gene that caused damage or browning when the mushroom was sliced. We now know that that same technique doesn't always work and can create proteins that could be harmful or even deadly, and it was probably um, never checked. Let's, uh, let us take a break here for a moment. Uh, I, when we come back, uh, I want to continue this conversation. And I also want to introduce the, uh, uh, some kind of an understanding of the recent Nobel Prize that went to people who were working in, the, uh, in this field and uh, how that uh, recognition affects the kinds of projects and efforts that you are undertaking in your activities. Uh, so sure. you're listening to Citizens for Health. You're listening to Jeffrey Smith, who was a premier um, a consumer uh, advocate spokesman on the uh, health damages of uh, gen genetically modified foods. And uh, I'm Jim Turner, board chair of Citizens for Health, and this is the uh, Citizens for Health uh, Health program. Uh, welcome back to the uh, Citizens for Health radio program. Uh, we're talking with Jeffrey Smith, who is the premier consumer advocate on the health dangers of genetically modified foods. And uh, we're discussing uh, what Jeffrey has called the existential threat that is occurring from new technologies uh, in the area of uh, modifying the gene nature of foods. Uh, and plants and uh, other living substances and anything living. Um, and, uh, Jeffrey, you had said there were two ways that consumers could protect themselves, and you uh, gave us one. Uh, just to remind us what the first one was and then tell us the second one. Well, the first is to eat organic or products that are non-GMO project verified. Of course, if you eat non-GMO project verified, it still might be sprayed with Roundup. So organic is the way to go. And if you see organic and non-GMO project verified on the same package, that would be called the gold standard because there's a few regulations and requirements that the project has that organic doesn't that would be nice. Now, the other way is to support the effort to protect nature from being replaced. We have a website called Protect Nature Now. There's a three-minute video that basically describes this existential threat. Soon we will have a trailer for a short film that we're going to release in early 2021 which will launch a global movement. I mentioned earlier that we've been massively successful in driving consumer opinions and behavior on GMOs, but in this case, we need to change the policies, the regulatory environment, the understanding. We need it to be understood throughout the world. School children and Nobel Prize winners alike need to understand we have arrived at the inevitable time in human history when we can redirect the streams of evolution for all time, and that with this we have the capacity to harm all living beings 
and all future generations. So we need to look at our role with a bigger lens as the stewards of all living beings and all future generations. And we need to understand that we need to lock this technology down in its infant state or it can do far worse than the rabbits released in Australia in 1859. We're looking at our very existence. And so we are mounting a global campaign for education and for regulatory change. And I would like to invite everyone to protectnaturenow.com to do two things. One, to subscribe so we can keep you informed and especially I'll give you the information about our coming launch of the movement in early 2021. And for those that can, please donate to the cause, because as you can imagine, we need a lot of money to protect this planet, because given the technology, any single nation or transnational corporation can mess it up for all of us. We know from COVID-19 that one microbe, whether GMO'd or not, can wreak havoc around the planet. So if you genetically engineer microbes, then you increase the likelihood of that type of thing and also massive environmental dangers, and so we need to act quickly. So um, I'm uh, interested. You're, you're talking about getting a, uh, an awareness going uh, for the public, uh, and I uh, note that a Nobel Prize was recently given in science that affects this entire argument. Could you uh, describe that and, uh, and explain how it fits into uh, what you're attempting to do here? Yes, uh, the two scientists, uh, women, one from France and one from the United States, discovered uh, the gene technologies tool, the CRISPR-Cas9 that we're talking about, making gene editing so cheap and easy. Now, this is akin to Madame Curie's Nobel Prize in we're discovering basically the ability to use and foster radiation, where it developed the ability for x-rays and atom bombs. So here we have the ability to do more precise edits of the genome and have collateral damage at the same time and have mistakes and pick up random pieces of DNA, et cetera, et cetera. We can go into that for half an hour and everyone would be totally convinced that this is an extremely imprecise and dangerous technology and it's very useful for scientists doing research. It can be used to help individuals that have defects in their genome and repair them in a way that it doesn't get inherited so we're not changing humanity, just protecting one person from a particular defective gene. And what it also does, and this was something that was mentioned by the Swedish Academy, is it basically allows us to redirect evolution. And what's not being calculated, it's simple arithmetic. People are thinking in terms of changing one specific item, one specific gene in one specific organism in one specific species, if you widen the look at this capacity of CRISPR-Cas9, we're talking about the possibility of eliminating the products of the billions of years of evolution so that all future generations never get what we had. Instead, they inherit the products of laboratory creations with side effects. So it's a very interesting two-edged sword, and we, it's not something that's actually even controversial once you realize the arithmetic, 
And, and if you think about it, how is it possible they can replace nature? First of all, anyone can be a genetic engineer. The products are going to become cheaper and more powerful. And the larger corporations are combining artificial intelligence with robotics, filling facilities with robots that can create genes at impressive speeds, allowing them to create thousands of different combinations that can ultimately be released. And this is where we need to slow down our commercialization of a new technology in favor of life. What mechanisms do we have that can uh, slow down that, uh, that movement? What, what tools are there available to engage in uh, getting control of this technology and having it produce uh, only the best benefits and eliminate all of the uh, risks? You know, years ago when GMOs were just being looked at for the first time, a bunch of scientists got together and decided on their own to lock it down. They realized they were being given unprecedented capacity to affect the nature of species forever, and they agreed no GMO should be released out of the laboratory. But certain scientists and commercial interests in a very, very well-documented fraud lied to the public and lied to politicians claiming that they had solved the basic problems of predictability and safety, which they hadn't, which allowed the industry to move forward. So, now, part of just, uh, Jeffrey, let me just jump in there and say, um, my understanding, clarify this for me, my understanding is that uh, the scientists who came together and wrote the guidelines for not releasing GMOs to the market. Uh, let us uh, save this. Uh, we're going to have to take a break now, uh, Jeffrey. Let's save. Uh, I'll give you the question. You can think about it during the break. But the idea I was getting at is they were somewhat effective in the pharmaceutical industry uh, in controlling some of the GMO-type uh, activities, but it was completely eliminated from the food industry. Uh, that's my understanding. Uh, think about that. Clarify it for me if I'm not correct. Uh, or express more on it, and then we can continue with your previous answer. Uh, and I want to say this is uh, Jim Turner. I'm board chair of Citizens for Health. You're listening to the Citizens for Health radio program, and we have Jeffrey Smith, uh, who is the uh, country's uh, leading consumer advocate on the dangers of genetically modifying food and other living products. Uh, welcome back uh, to uh, Citizens for Health, the radio program. I'm uh, Jim Turner, the board chair of uh, Citizens for Health. I'm an attorney in Washington, D.C., worked uh, for years on the uh, food safety area. And we have Jeffrey Smith, who's the country's leading consumer advocate on the health dangers of genetically modifying food and other living products. And uh, we're in the middle of discussing uh, the dangers that uh, the, uh, the various kinds of uh, mod genetically mod genetic modification tools present and tools for uh, addressing that problem. Uh, and Jeffrey, um, I just asked you, uh, what kinds of tools do we have uh, to manage the, uh, the, the new technology, CRISPR, uh, and the ability that it has to be both uh, positive and negative? How do we get the best and, not, and stop the worst of this new technology? Well, I think regulation is one. Um, another one is the institutional review boards around the world are the groups of the, the committees that approve uh, specific uh, research study designs at universities, and they need to be alerted that they cannot allow any release of genetically engineered 
uh, organisms into the environment. We need liability laws. We need strict liability. And these, these preventions of release, like imagine, for example, that a state or a particular country or even a county said there's no genetically engineered organisms to be released here. And if your organism comes into our jurisdiction, then there are strict penalties. You need to remediate. You need to um, pay, you know, have the, have the liability. Anything that happens that's a problem, you have to pay for. Now, let's say they're talking about a microbe, bacteria, or virus, or fungus. You can't control those once they're released. They can travel anywhere. So in the same way that U.S. farmers and the U.S. farm industry refused to commercialize genetically engineered corn varieties that hadn't been approved in the major export markets like China, they waited until it was approved. Imagine that you are a company, Join Bio, which is trying to create and release genetically engineered microbes for farmers. If they realize that there's a state that doesn't allow it and that they would have to remediate if there was crossed boundaries, then they would hesitate to release it. So we have to do strict liability. We have to do prevention uh, laws, and we have to also do massive education and it has to be part of popular culture because in my experience giving talks in 45 countries, I can work with a government. I've been even flown to a government, you know, by, for example, Poland. They flew me there to give a press conference with the environment minister. I praised their strong uh, anti-GMO stance in food and feed. A week later, an election replaced them with a pro-GMO government. I worked with the government of Thailand. Same thing. They were against GMOs to release them into fields for field trials. And then two weeks later, it was a new government that was pro-GMO. So we can't base the future of our planet just on politics. We need to ingrain this understanding as an understanding that every school child realizes that our civilization has a new mandate because we have a new technology. And so... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, the question I have for you is, uh, does the ability uh, to buy this thing for uh, um, $135 uh, uh, and do it in your home pose uh, any kind of danger to the environment in general? You know, I haven't analyzed the specific bacteria and the five different ways that you can genetically engineer it with the do-it-yourself kit. I haven't had a chance to sit down with a scientist to look at what could go wrong. But I'm actually more concerned about the future of these do-it-yourself kits. And for $2,000, biohackers can create gene editing laboratories in their basement and have all sorts of access where you can buy specific things in mail order for 40 or 60 bucks and do yet another gene editing uh, uh, operation, creating a new organism, gene editing, trying it on your own DNA. So it's becoming accessible in a way that is astounding. And the amount of genomic information that's going to be available in the next 10 years will basically have libraries of the, of the genomes of every species available to us, which means that anyone with a computer and a little bit of bioinformatics can go in there and start tinkering and then call in or do mail order to, to order certain genomic combinations that will be put together by 
robots driven by artificial intelligence with no human intervention delivered to your door. So now we're in a situation where not only everyone has access to new species, but there's even a technology called gene drives where you force traits into all offspring, not just half of the offspring that's typical, but you can wipe out entire species, change the characteristics of entire species. The Department of Defense is genetically engineering insects to deliver viruses so that genetic engineering takes place in the field. We have all sorts of... Are they doing that as a bioweapon? Well, they don't say they're doing it as a bioweapon. It's not finished yet. It's called HEGAS, H-E-G-A-A-S, but it's, it's going on. And the, the, bio, the biotech industry is also creating sprays for pesticides that are actually RNA that change gene expression of plants and insects. And if you get that spray on your skin, it might reprogram the expression of our DNA. They're going from genetically modified organisms to genetically modified ecosystems. So you see, Jim, nothing is sacred when everything is your playground and has a dollar figure associated with a potential outcome, and there is a mantra among the biotech industry that it is safe and predictable, and anyone who's, a, who's demanding more science is actually anti-science. And that misinformation has allowed this thing to explode, and we need to get that inf the, the real information out there so that everyone puts the brakes on and realizes, wait a minute, this is not ready for prime time. We are giving children atom bombs. We are giving biological time bombs to anyone in this way. We need to withdraw that with mandates and strict liability and a deep understanding embedded into popular culture from now on. All right, well, go walk through, uh, uh, tick off exactly what individuals can do to contribute to achieving the outcome of having this new technology controlled so that its benefits can be utilized and its, and its risks eliminated? We're involved in identifying just those questions, just those answers. We have a program we're going to launch early next year. We're looking at the legal remedies. We're looking at the legislative remedies. We're looking at the educational remedies, that what people can do if they're a university student, what people can do if they're simply a consumer. So I can't answer that question right now. And in fact, I don't really want to yet because most everything that I do gets monitored by the biotech industry. I don't mind them knowing everything that I've said so far. But when it comes to deeper strategy, I'm going to wait till the release in early 2021, and I encourage everyone to go to protectnaturenow.com to subscribe so that you also can be part of this absolutely necessary global movement that will win. We will be able to protect nature now. I'm extremely confident. And let's just let's just step back one uh, one level and ask you how hopeful you are that we can actually overcome this existential threat. Well, I actually think I'm very confident, and it's interesting. I'm doing another summit called uh, A Magnificent New Normal where I'm interviewing 40 thought leaders about where we're going after this pandemic, and even from indigenous prophecies and the understanding of the new science of consciousness, I feel like we have this whole lockdown in place is actually a springboard for us to act differently as a civilization and this fits perfectly into this as an antidote.
Well, thank you very much, Jeffrey. Uh, we really look forward to seeing what you are able to uh, generate, uh, your successes in the GMO area that led to uh, having uh, consumers be much more aware uh, will be created uh, by what you're doing here, uh, in my estimation. And I think going down the path that you tech, uh, sort of sketched out here uh, will be very, very valuable uh, to getting us uh, uh, to grapple with and control uh, the benefits of these new technologies uh, while eliminating their risks. Uh, so I want to just say, uh, Jeffrey, uh, we're going to uh, break now for uh, my final uh, announcement, and I thank you very, very much for being with uh, with us here today. Uh, Jeffrey Smith, uh, who's uh, the country's leading uh, proponent, uh, consumer advocate of how to control and utilize uh, GMO uh, technologies in a way that will be helpful rather than harmful. Uh, and um, he's been an ally. We've been an ally with him at Citizens for Health from the beginning. And we look forward to uh, uh, joining again further and moving this whole issue uh, into a way that consumers can cope with it effectively. Uh, and I'm uh, Jim Turner, the chair, board chair of Citizens for Health, and uh, very happy to uh, talk with you, Jeffrey, and look forward to our next encounter. And I look forward to seeing your presentations that you've uh, talked about coming on board. Yeah, and thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.